Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. I can't believe it's Christmas Eve, and I hope all of you are uh, with the ones that you love and, and getting ready to celebrate this most beautiful time of the year where we celebrate our Lord and also all that is, uh, well, meaningful and and brings hope and uh, different uh, aspects of spirituality into our lives, all that God is and does for us. This week's program is, I am so grateful to have this wonderful man who has written a book with not only pearls of wisdom, they're actually emeralds of wisdom. The book is called Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow. Peter Guzzardi, a 40-year editor of so many different famous authors, decided to write his own book on the timeless wisdom of the Wizard of Oz, and he does it in a way that is unforgettable, and you're going to hear him today uh, just really let it unfold for you in the way that uh, he discovered after watching The Wizard of Oz maybe literally hundreds of times and writing this beautiful book. So we hear from him as we head on into the the Christmas day tomorrow. And I hope you enjoy this. It's magical. It's enchanting. And it's a delight. Here's Peter Guzzardi. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I can't remember when. It was quite a few years ago. I was watching The Wizard of Oz for probably the, I'll say, the umpteenth time. I have no idea how many times I've actually watched it, because even though I may have watched it 10 or 15 times growing up, every year it would come on TV, and it was an event um, when I was a youngster. That's how old I am. But when my daughter was a baby, she started watching The Wizard of Oz at the ripe old age of two, and she had it on VHS cassette at that time and we would play it and it's the only time in history when I allowed my two-year-old to sit in front of the television for four and a half hours straight because she cried so hard when it was over the first time I let her watch it twice and so it's just been honestly I I know that I am no different from probably 99 percent of the world and I mean the world because The Wizard of Oz a book that came out actually that was written Oh, my goodness, over a century ago and um, had so many iterations before it became what we know it as and the grand movie by MGM. It It is a movie that touches us on so many levels. And I remember actually thinking at one point, wow, if you look at The Wizard of Oz, it's a metaphor for life, isn't it? It has deep spiritual principles. It has guidance and timeless wisdom. There's something more to this than just a fable, a story, or a good idea. And then wouldn't you know it, a dear friend, people who are, have been in the book business and also um, are deep wisdom seekers and practitioners, reached out to me and said, oh, you must meet Peter Guzardi. He has written this book on the Wizard of Oz, and it's basically everything that I thought should be out there as well as the movie. It's called Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow. And I am so honored to have Peter Guzzardi here with what I think is one of the most magical books I've had the great pleasure of reading in a very long time. Peter, thank you so much for bringing us here over this side of the rainbow. 
Well, it's a treat to be here, Laura. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. You, like like all of us, have your own you know, story as to why the Wizard of Oz meant as much to you as it. So everyone has their own story of what that means to them. But that just tells me that there are universal aspects to the story of it um, that everyone has. And your childhood um, was had different aspects to it that a lot of us ha- maybe have not had to go through. You had was it polio as a child? Yes. And polio, as I was a year and a half old, uh, we were living in Jakarta, Indonesia at the time. My dad was in the Foreign Service. And uh, and there was no polio vaccine. This was 1951. Um, and so I was stricken by polio and was paralyzed for a while. And I was just very fortunate that the the, the disease, which kind of works its way up your body when, when you're experiencing the paralysis, kind of stopped short of my lungs. And I didn't have to live with an iron lung or essentially my, my life was spared. But it was a pretty dramatic event, especially for my children, uh, for my children, for my parents. Uh, and I, I was their firstborn child. And it was, oh, my gosh. Yes, indeed. And I can I can only imagine. But you came out of it. But one of your your great refuges and your your place of escape became the wonderment of books. And you you read voraciously as a child so much so that that your career as an adult turned into that of an editor of 40 years. And I, I love the trajectory of this because you have. Wow. You worked with some of the all time most amazing people in the world in in the world of writing and books tell us some of them oh uh, well i think the, the the i guess the pinnacle of my experience as an editor was working with professor stephen hawking uh, the cambridge professor who wrote a brief history of time um which went on to become surprise surprise to all of us just a monster bestseller it was like 10 years a bestseller in england many years on the number one on the bestseller list here and has sold more than 10 million copies uh, over the years. So just kind of a phenomenon. Um, and in some ways, looking back on it, I feel that Stephen and I were kind of perfectly matched in a way. I mean, here was this man trapped in a wheelchair. Uh, here was I having had polio as a, as a small child. Um, and the two of us kind of, he, well, his, I can't compare my mind to his. I mean, his mind is just this extraordinary pool through which he's exploring alternate universes and the cosmos. Um, but, and for me, my, my kind of role essentially with Stephen was to just keep saying to him, he, he referenced this in the acknowledgments, keep saying, I still don't get it. Uh, could you try comparing it to a household item? Um, I'm still not quite sure what you're talking about. Um, and there are those who might argue that the book is still somewhat hard to penetrate. Uh, I did my very best. And Stephen, more importantly, did his very best to really bring it to a level where where a lot of it is comprehensible. And the excitement of this quest to marry these two great theories of the universe and how it works, which do not fit together, it just just is so inspiring and interesting and kind of awesome. Um, what a once, yeah, yeah, what a once in a lifetime and a, a one person, you know, opportunity. When you think about it in the whole vast universe, that you were the one person to work that closely with him. I remember when the book came out, I never read it, but my dad, it, it like 
you know, blew his mind, so to speak, and <laughs> as it did of millions of other people. And to think that you were working so closely with him like that. But then you also worked with the likes of uh, an, another great mind, quantum physics and quantum uh, reality and, and spirituality, Deepak Chopra. Yeah. He did a lot, yes. And so many other new thought thinkers and big spiritual uh, giants. Yeah, it's it was it's it's been a great run. I mean, I had worked with Douglas Adams on a couple of his uh, hitchhiker series novels. Um, I worked with Susan Cain on her amazing book uh, about being an introvert, quiet, um, the, the kind of the merits of introversion as as opposed to extroversion. I worked with Byron Katie and Carol Burnett and Scott Peck and Karima Bubar. I just had this kind of blessed existence where I was able to work with these kind of remarkable people. Well, you obviously have your own gift. And when people pick up your incredible book, Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow, they will see that you are absolutely one of them as well. You write so beautifully. It's you bring it to life. You bring the movie to life. You bring the lessons and you and things that maybe people subconsciously sort of taken in after watching it all those years and then assimilating it into really very easy to grasp information. You said it was dense when you reread your own book. I didn't find it dense. I found it completely open and, and very, it had so much, it, it was breathing, living and breathing for me. And, and it was just so enjoyable. And, you know, every time I thought, okay, I'll put this down and I'll go get something done. I just, just I had to keep going on to the next emerald because what you have in the book, which we'll explain to people is, you know, there are pearls of wisdom. We all have heard that line before, um, which actually comes from the Bible, I think, from the pearl of great price that Jesus talks about. When you gain that, you've gained everything. Um, but instead of pearls of wisdom, you have emeralds, obviously, from the Emerald City of, of, of the Wizard of Oz. And these you have nine of them. And may we may or may not be able to get to all of them, or even just cover one, because they're they're so de- deep and 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 vast in their own wisdom. Each of them and le- lessons of life that we could just use and take on one a day and or one a year and try to master. <laughs> really, I love them all so much. You said pick out a couple of your favorite ones, and we'll talk about them on the show. And I'm like. They're all my favorite, absolutely all my favorite. So, um, is that your kitty cat jumping yeah, on your? Yes, yeah, so the cat wants to get right into the mix here. Absolutely, because you know animals are drawn to all that as well. And speaking of animals, you have every reference to that beautiful book and movie. When you wrote this book, obviously you 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 have every single thing that there is to know about it from Frank L. Baum, who wrote wrote the first book to all the many books he's written and and also everything that happened in the making of the movie i mean that's a book in itself wow how interesting um are you still finding out things or do you know pretty much everything there is to know about the oh, movie the books well there have been wonderful wonderful books about the movie uh which certainly there are more out there than I could possibly read, but there were, I had some great resources in the process of doing my research. Um, and I have a little bibliography of, of, you know, the books that, uh, that kind of, uh, but I researched, I read things from, um, 
what, from Joseph Campbell's A Hero with a Thousand Faces, not specifically about that, but there is a book called The Making of the Wizard of Oz by uh, Al Jean Harmetz, uh, which is absolutely wonderful. All these kind of inside stories. She was a great writer herself. And so she, and she tracked down all these people who were involved in the making of the film and got these inside gossipy tidbits about what went on. Just a fantastic read if, uh, if, if, if people want to immerse themselves more deeply in, in the story of the film itself. For sure. There are so, there are so much there, even what you provide at the end of, of your book. But Frank L. Baum himself, he, he was, he had, he had all these diverse odd jobs and all these things. And he finally writes this book that ends up being the first of what, what was it? 50 there were 40 that ended yeah, up being. 40. He wrote 14. And then after he passed, uh, the publisher wanted to keep making money uh, as publishers do. Uh, and they hired various people to kind of keep going with the stories of Oz. Uh, so there ended up being 40 books that were spawned by the original. Yes, and then there was a bidding war when they finally decided to sell the series to a, a movie, I guess a movie house, what were they called back then? But um, there were many, many movie companies that were vying for the rights to the movie the to make studios. it into it. Yeah, yeah, those giant studios, yeah. And, but there were also various other much lesser versions of it that had been sort of made. Over was one time. with Laurel yeah, Laurel and Hardy, were they in one or was that not, uh, yes, misinterpreted? Yes, uh, well, Stan Laurel was. Um, and yes, there were a number of several films, one of which um, came before talkies. Um, and there were theatrical productions. And many of them might not be recognizable to people today as stories of the Wizard of Oz because they took enormous liberties with the plot uh, of the book. Um, and instead of a dog, Toto, they had a cow, uh, Imogene, I mean, just kind of wild and crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, um, Im Im yeah, Imogene, the cow, somehow I don't know how the, it would fit into the basket of the yeah, bicycle. But yeah, how many things? But, you know, they're obviously the archetypical undertones, everything from Carl Jung to, and, and you also so beautifully weave in wisdom, um, from, you know, Buddhist background and from Thich Nhat Hanh and all these incredible thinkers and, and wisdom seekers that you weave throughout even your descriptions of what you think some of the deeper stories are in A Wizard of Oz and how we can use them to go about the yellow brick road of our own lives. And I love how you do that because even that is so learned. It's beautiful. Um, you'll, you'll just weave some of those things in so effortlessly and you see how they apply. So many of the world's wisdom, we think that we're all um, somehow disparate in our choice of spirituality or spiritual practices and and this has got to be so different from that and but yet so many of them at the core of them they all share very uh similar absolutely truth. yeah i mean the golden rule I mean, treat treat others as you would treat yourself I and mean, that's that's really the the bedrock of every spiritual practice uh, compassion is really at the heart of, of, of spirituality. Um, and it's a big theme in the book. I, it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't approach this thinking necessarily that this was going to be this font of wisdom. I just knew it was a movie I loved as a kid. Um, 
And it kind of stayed with me. And I had this kind of moment when I was visiting a publisher. I'm a freelance editor now. I'm an independent editor. And I was visiting publishers as I do. And there was this big old 75th anniversary edition of The Wizard of Oz on there on the shelf there. And I said, wow, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking on my way in here. And it's a weird coincidence that... I've worked with all these amazingly wise people. You know, I've, I've kind of rubbed elbows with them as I help them express their ideas in book form. Um, and I was just thinking that all the wisdom that I absorbed kind of through osmosis, hanging out with these folks, when I think about it, it was all right there in The Wizard of Oz. If only I'd known it. You know, if only I'd clicked known to click my heels three times. It was right there. Um, and he said, wow, I think that's a really cool idea. Would you like to write that up as a book? We might be interested in publishing it. So I did. And then I had to, I had to kind of make good on that, that kind of observation. Um, so I went through the, the, the film many times and I came up with these like 52 little things that were, that were little. I mean, it's just, they're, they're cool that follow the arc of the story, right? So. Um, the first one, you know, there are no mistakes, only lessons, you know, so, so was it a mistake that Dorothy didn't keep Toto on a leash, uh, and he ran into Miss Gulch's garden and got her into this world of trouble, or was it what needed to happen to set in motion this amazing odyssey that she would take, uh, that would bring her to a kind of fully realized self at the end of the movie? Uh, so there, there really aren't mis- We tend to think of it's good or bad, it's right or wrong. That was a mistake. That was something I did that was good or right. But actually, it, life is, it, life is more like something to be curious about. And from every experience we have, good, bad, and different, we learn something. I mean, that's just a richer way and a more real way, I think, of approaching the experience of life. So that's one of 52 little lessons. There are no mistakes, only lessons. Um, but while I was putting these together, I kind of discovered these big, like, honking uh, lessons. And I thought they're different from the smaller ones. How do I deal with that? And so I decided to call them emeralds. Um, and they're like the big nine. Uh, and you can, and, and I kind of dug into those in a meatier way. Yeah. And then at the very end of the, while I was writing the book, I had this idea of like putting, stringing them together. What if, what if you kind of apply a little trip through the nine emeralds to whatever issue you're going through in your life? And that was like, whoa, that it really kind of, it really brings you some insight, some relief, uh, a, a kind of a way forward just to think about the things that worked for Dorothy. Maybe they can work for me. And these emeralds, let me tell you, they do just that, but they do them with what you mentioned earlier, which is with compassion and with this really beautiful permission to experience these things without the judgment of, is this right or is this wrong or is this good or is this bad? You you practice what you preach within this beautiful book. So if you don't mind, Peter Guzardi, I want to have you back after the break so that we can maybe enter into some of these emeralds, some of these gorgeous, gorgeous uh, lessons um, that are applicable, I think, to anyone in any aspect of life. And and hopefully they'll get as much joy from reading them and, and 
and as I did today and that you had in writing them, I'm sure. Can you do that? Can you come I back after the break? I'd love to do that. That'd be great. This is such a great honor and pleasure. The book is called Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow. Peter Guzardi is the wonderful author who happens to also be a, a, an editor of Beyond 40 Years of some of the most famous writings you could know or or read in your life. And so to have him here today is like having the wisdom of Oz right at your beck and call and at your fingertips. So excited. We're going to come back to this and find out. And you may want to know that Emeralds of Oz can be found absolutely wherever fine books are sold, uh, Amazon included. When we come back, more with Peter Guzardi and Emeralds of Oz. I'm Laura Smith. This is The Way Home. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. I am absolutely just enamored right now from speaking with the wonderful Peter Guzardi. He is the author of Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow, in this incredible book that studies the ins and outs of the beautiful film and book of The Wizard of Oz, but um, really takes you through what I believe is the great lessons, the great wisdom, pearls of wisdom that he is calling actually emeralds, uh, these beautiful emeralds, which are lessons that you can take. And there are nine of them. And we talked a lot about, you know, getting the idea to write the book uh, in the first part of the show, Peter. But I think delving into some of these, because I, I think they're so applicable. They are so, you know, we all, as we said before, there's a journey for all of us. We're all on the, on the yellow brick road, so to speak, which is life. And ironically, the show is The Way Home with Laura Smith. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Which I had no idea when I launched it four years ago that during it, I would stop living after 41 years in New York and pick up my bags and move back to my hometown of, you know, northern Indiana, Elkhart, Indiana, to live closer to my fam- my parents. And it, and it was just unexpected, and it, and it feels like a journey, but in and of itself. But life as it is, you know, we do need wisdom. Isn't it great to be able to um, have uh, gained some, some deep, deep nuggets of gold from the Wizard of Oz. And you could go as, as shallow as you can or as deep as you can. And I don't think you would ever finish because that movie, that book was so chock full of it. So you have nine of these emeralds here. Yeah. Uh, emeralds of Oz. Tell, okay. Do you want to start with one or do you just want to pick out a couple because we don't want to tell them all to people because uh, we want no, them to pick No, no. I'm happy to give people as much information as they possibly could have. It's uh, the, you know, in, in, in writing the book, I just, I watched the movie a zillion times. I came up with these little bits, uh, and, uh, which, which kind of traversed the arc of the story from beginning to end. And then while I was digging, I found these great big, big chunks of wisdom. Um, and so the, the, the chunks, the first one is listen to your longing. Um, there is this transcendent moment, as anyone who's watched the film knows, when Dorothy steps into the barnyard, this, this young girl who's being ignored, uh, who's being pushed to the side in this little, as uh, this little farm has to go about its business struggling to survive. Um, and she begins to sing and everything changes. 
I mean, suddenly you go from kind of thinking, well, is this movie any good? I mean, am I into this or am I not? I'm not sure where this is going. Suddenly that voice carries you into this river of longing, which is so deep and so profound, uh, this longing to find a place that's above and beyond the troubled existence that we all kind of muddle our way through. It's just, um, it's extraordinary. Uh, and it is the, the first emerald in the sense of the first thing to ask yourself is in any situation and maybe just continually, what do I long for? Not just what do I want, not just what do I need, but deeper below all of that, what do I really long for? Um, and Dorothy longs for what she longs for changes over the course of the film. At first, what she longs for is a place where troubles melt like lemon drops, right? She longs for a way out. Um, but then, as we discover later on in the film, when she's trapped in the Wicked Witch's castle, what she really longs for, then she longs for Aunt M. She longs for a return to safety and love and, and the protection of her home. Uh, so in, in that way, this book expresses um, what attention that we all experience in our lives. We want, we want to, we want freedom. We want to be free. We want to explore. We want to uh, leave, leave the things that limit us. We want to step through and beyond them. And we long to be safe and loved and warm and protected at the same time. So it's that tension that kind of drives our lives and drove this movie. But it all begins with asking the question, what do you long for? I love that. And ironically, and technically, that song was going to be uh, discarded. It actually was taken out of the film a couple of different times, correct? Yes, yes. It was Imagine. on the cutting room floor. Uh, and then some of the people who were making the film protested and said, no, it's got to go back in. They were worried about the fact that they thought a barnyard was not going to do much for Judy Garland's image. Uh, they just kind of didn't get it. And they almost clipped out this iconic moment. And to this day... I hear that refrain and watch her sing, and I can literally get tears in my eyes oh, and oh. goosebumps. And there is it transports you to your your inner self, to your childhood, to your longing for life itself. And yes, indeed, it is just that beautiful sense of, of what do you long for that's beyond the surface of just the needs and wants of the typical day and the, the, the surroundings that you're in. And it becomes an inner journey of the soul. That's the first emerald. You think you could have the whole book just on that, Peter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's kind of true of, of all of the emeralds. Um, you know, the second one is, is see the situation, whatever the situation is, as if for the first time. So in the film, this is the moment that Dorothy steps out of her home, uh, which is kind of corkscrewed to a landing, and steps out of black and white into this incredible 
world, uh, this glistening, colorful, technicolor world, um, and these flowers, and the sky is so blue, and this pond, and these kind of these uh, what little bridges and walkways, and and the music kind of nails you, and she is just gazing out with this amazing look of curiosity and wonder, you know. And this is a reminder to all of us to, we can't help but be biased by our experiences and we can't help but kind of get into grooves which can become ruts. But this, so this is an invitation to step into what Buddhists call beginner's mind, to, to remember, to, to every now and then remember to set aside all of your sense of, I know how this is going to go and just be more fully in the moment and just you know, feel the air on your skin, you know, feel the weight of your body in the chair that you're sitting in, maybe driving to work, uh, maybe roll the window down and just be in that moment. And instead of just going on automatic pilot, as we so often tend to do, and and that act of seeing the situation as if for the first time kind of is is being more fully in this life, in this moment, which is the only moment we actually know we have. Amen. For real. Oh, and I, you give an example in the book of how um, there's a woman that you know has this exercise of just taking a raisin and putting it in your hand and looking at it, and yeah. smelling it and touching yeah. it and putting it in your mouth and just being with that and don't think of anything else or do anything else. And just that experience, it, it's an, it, bringing you to a, a, a place of like being one with something. Mindfulness. Yes, that was mindfulness. a mindfulness exercise. I borrowed that from John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness course that I took at, uh, at Duke Hospital as part of this program they had. And that's one of the exercises, just, just the raisin. And then after a while, you put the raisin in and it takes 10 or 20 minutes to have the full experience of the raisin. And then you can consider how, where did this raisin come from? I mean, this was once a grape. Then it was harvested. Then it was put out in the sun to dry. Then it was collected. Then it was put in a basket. Then it was put on a truck. Then it was sent to a place that was put in a box. And then it eventually ended up on the shelf in the supermarket where you bought it. It's, it's don't just um, kind of sleepwalk through life, like really dig into it and, and, and dig into the miracle that it is. And, and no one can do it all the time. Um, I could, I, you know, we all have to try to remember, but when we do, it's so worth it. It is so worth it. So beautiful. And on number three, I love this, um, celebrate yourself. Now, how, yes. how, how, how does that fit in with uh, with the Wizard of Oz, if you think about it, because Dorothy doesn't, she seems to be very focused on, on other people <laughs> and that she meets along the way. There doesn't yeah. seem to be much self, you know, about her in, in the beginning. Right. At least. That's true. She's very selfless in the sense of, of being very kind and generous to others. But there's this moment um, where she walks, where she realizes where the munchkins pop up, right? Uh, and it turns out that just by showing up, 
the literal act of just showing up. She happens to have landed on the Wicked Witch of the East and killed her, liberating an entire people, uh, and they celebrate her. And they they write, they sing songs about her. They're going to make a statue about her. They have a parade. They invite her to join the parade. And I think the message here, the deeper message is celebrate yourself and other people just for showing up. Showing up, as as we know, is half of whatever it is that you want, at least uh, want to accomplish. So celebrate that. It's a big deal. You know, you're here. You showed up. You're going to do whatever it is. You're going to start your exercise program. You're going to, you know, whatever it is. You're going to watch your calories. You're going to, um, none of those write things. Write the book. Examples. You're going to write a book. Yeah, you're going to, you're going to hit the pool. You're going to, whatever it is, you're going to, you're going to volunteer. You know, you're going to do something good. So celebrate yourself. You've taken the first step. You've made the call. You've showed up at the pool. You celebrate yourself just for showing up. I think that's what that moment uh, kind of means writ large. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And and the one that we mentioned before in the first half of the hour was choose compassion. That's your fourth emerald. Um, that is, I think, obviously just it goes back throughout the ages, compassion. Yeah, and throughout the movie, by showing compassion to the people she meets, to the scarecrow, saying, gosh, you look awfully uncomfortable up there. Uh, what can I do to help? And he says, well, you know, if you bend that nail down, and he slides off, and what has she done? She's made a lifelong friend and a stalwart companion. And by showing that compassion to all of the people, she, the creatures she meets, you know, to the tin woodsman. What can I do for you? Oh, well, oil, oil, oil. She, you know, she oils his joints, and and now he's part of her group. And this and this lion who just scares the holy crap out of her, right? He's like, yeah. she, she, she's like. Um, she stands up for her, her, for Toto and she gives him a little rap on the snout. And then she realizes he's actually, for all the bluster, he's actually a coward. Um, and he's frightened. He's much more frightened than she is or than Toto is. And so what does she do? There, there, there. It's okay. You're all right. Why don't you come join me and you can get some courage because we're going off to see the wizard. So compassion, compassion, compassion. She turns a landscape which might be full of of opposition or frightening things or weird things. Uh, she's not judgmental. She's open and compassionate. And as a result, things are transformed into allies and supporters and friends. Mm-hmm. And I love um, how in, in your book, Peter Guzzardi, Emeralds of Oz, Life Lessons from Over the Rainbow, you 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 go back and forth between the the film and life and these lessons and everything but we talk about it at the end of the film right when we all kind of realize that that hank the 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 farm hand there at the her little farm where she is with auntie yeah. m and everything and all the people that that were the the main characters in her you know walk through the yellow brick road and all of her experiences they were really sort of uh what would you call them icons or or 
uh, examples of, of of the people. They they were really taken from her real life experience. Absolutely, yes. It's all and a dream, and they were those are the people who inspired the the dreams, the dream that she had. Yes. I love that they did that though, because they really she, in the movie. I thought it was just so beautiful the way they had the same characteristics as without their costumes um, in the dream. You know. In real life, you know, they represented the brains and the courage and the things to her. Then as they did, I just, it was just it, what a magical, a, a magical, thoughtful process. When Frank L. Baum wrote, wrote this book, don't you wonder, did he realize how deep? Well, he didn't have the dream. The dream was added by the filmmakers. It was not a dream in the book. In the book, it was a real thing that happened. Um, but the filmmakers were kind of stuck with, with trying to tack a happy ending onto this. They were trying to, um, and, and they didn't want it to be a fantasy. I mean, L. Frank Baum's book is really fantastical. I mean, this woman really journeys, this girl journeys to this strange place. Um, and, oh, I don't know, has experiences with dishes and like just crazy and characters who are like hammerheads who launch themselves at her. And, um, and so, and, but they couldn't, the only successful studio at that time that was doing fantasy was Disney. Everyone else who tried to do fantasy, Locked. So they didn't want to fall into that trap. So what they did was they, she has these incredible experiences, but they're a dream. You know, they, they added that dream trope to this to make yes. it palatable to a, a large audience, uh, which worked. And in terms of um, the wisdom in it, once you're in a dream, now you're in such a fertile place in terms of, you know, now you're in the subconscious, right? Now you're in the place that Jung explores. I mean, now you're in the, the, the land of myth and myth making and just the richest aspects of the human psyche. Uh, and, and that just layers upon layers get added to, to the kind of value, quote unquote, of the movie, um, just through that simple decision. It's 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 so incredible when I think about it. And it took them, I believe, 22 weeks to film. And the average um, musical or, or film at that time was taking eight. But but Wizard of Oz took them 22. And uh, they, I mean, there were there's so many, so many fun problems. facts. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of problems. I mean, yeah. even physical problems and ailments that happened as a result of the Wicked Witch of the West got burned on her hand or something. And the original... Tin Man, actually, who was uh, Buddy Epson, wasn't it? Uh, who we know as Grandpa on the the Beverly Hillbillies. He was the original one. Yes. He ended up going into the he hospital with some died. type of asphyxiation, almost dying from yes. that uh, paint on his body. Right, that that silver paint. Um, he inhaled it uh, and almost died. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, someone replaced him. So there, this is why I think we're going to just have to have you back soon. Because um, <laughs> we have a few more minutes left, so we could take just one or two more emeralds. But then okay. we'll have to have you back because, honestly, there's so many good ones. Tell me one that, that's well, jumping me, out for you. Me, do you think it would be okay if I read a little bit from the last emerald, partly because it yes. reflects the name of your show so beautifully? Please do. I love <laughs> okay. it. Yes. Okay. So this is the ninth emerald. Uh, there's no place like home. When Dorothy realizes there's no place like home, 
she's not just referring to the farmhouse where she lives with Aunt Em and Uncle Henry. With wisdom newly accumulated in Oz, Dorothy is pointing to something beyond a construct of wooden plaster, to a space she has come to locate within herself. Here she has internalized the power she once deferred to others, which in itself is a tremendous accomplishment. Yet the reaches of this inner landscape extend far beyond the boundaries of psychology. Dorothy has discovered a conduit to the vast realm of the collective unconscious. The home to which she's referring is less a physical place than it is a feeling, and less a feeling than it is a state of being. In fact, the ground state of all being. This is the spiritual infinitude from which each of us rises up briefly in this lifetime, like a wave on the ocean, individual yet wholly connected, before falling back to merge with the endless depths from which we came. Dorothy's true home, and yours, and mine, is the boundless wellspring of creation, the divine force that animates every religion and imbues every aspect of the universe with energy. This is the final lesson that Dorothy brings back from her travels through Oz. This is the golden fleece of her mythological hero's journey, the priceless treasure at the end of the successful quest. It is the emerald brought up from the deepest mine shaft, truth as at its most hard-won and profound. The longing that launched Dorothy on her journey and inspires us to set out on our own has finally found both its source and its fulfillment. Home is where you are right now. You and I are home in this moment. And in this one. And in this one, too. We are home in each breath. We are home in the spacious awareness that lies within us and also extends infinitely far beyond us to include all of existence in its embrace. We are home because, like Dorothy, we never left. We just needed to become aware of this in order to return. Wow. Bravo, bravo. And that just is so moving. And I actually read that emerald twice when I was preparing for today's talk because I read it and I said, wait a minute, this is so, this is so full of answers for me, for everyone. It, I, it just truly resonated and it almost brings tears to my eyes, but in a beautiful way. It's just, it's the comfort. It's the, it's, it's our, it's as close as our breath. As you as you've taught us through this incredible book of wisdom, I think it's just so. It it couldn't be more apropos to any point in anyone's history. If you even think about where we are in the world today, how we need to come home to this thinking, this mindfulness, this awareness, this beauty, this joy, this appreciation, and and it, yet it was all in a movie that was boy has been out since 1939 so almost 100 years and it's still teaching us the lessons but peter gusardi you've brought it to life again and you cannot read this book enough times because you will find something just like the movie you could see it a million times but you'll see something new in it every time you see it and in this case you read emeralds of oz life lessons from over the rainbow what a treat if i had 
another three hours. I would sit here with you all day and just listen. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you wrote this book and and that you came on to to share these profound insights with us and the joy that you have, obviously, and all you've derived from The Wizard of Oz and and from even writing this. Thank you so very much. Oh, Laura, you are so sweet. You are so generous. You are so kind. Uh, and I love your enthusiasm. Uh, I'm sure that it's not just this. I bet you you're just enthusiastic about life. Uh, and uh, and I appreciate you and thank you so much. Well, you are, it's like you are a treasure and a, a national treasure, an international treasure. And I, the fact that you just read your own words in that way, that is worth a worth its weight in gold. I hope did you do the actual voiceover? Did you have you done the audiobook version of this? Uh no, I did not. I wanted to, but they they wanted a professional. They didn't didn't know whether I could or couldn't and they wanted a professional and I think that was a good choice. Uh maybe mm. some someday. Uh Oh, um, <laughs> I think you should if as long as you still own the rights to the book, you need to do it because you are an amazing storyteller in your own right with a beautiful voice it, with everything that you love and feel comes out within it. I thank you so much, Peter oh, Guzardi. And, thank and you, I know everyone can find the book, right? Wherever they find their books. Is that true? Uh, I hope and believe so. It came out four years ago. So it might, you might have to do a little digging on the internet to find a place that's got it, but I'm sure Amazon and other places will. Come. I, I am absolutely sure it does. Emeralds of Oz, life lessons from over the rainbow. Do yourself a favor. Get this one. You're going to absolutely love everything about it. Peter Guzardi. Thank you. God bless you. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and whatever and all that you practice and celebrate. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Oh, inspired. Yes, I am. Peter Guzardi just totally, really just took me on a on a yellow brick road journey of the soul right now. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, you do that for us every week. Uh, Jimmy Dean, my favorite guru of good news. You always find us the beautiful stories and especially being Christmas Eve today. I just I'm so grateful for you, Bob. Uh, thank you so much for producing our programs all the time. I I just love being with you both in this sacred time of the year. And I also want to say thank you to my Balance of Nature family, Balance of Nature Fruits and Veggies in a Capsule. They make The Way Home with Laura Smith possible. It's because of them that I'm be able to bring you beautiful storytellers, wonderful uh, guests that I have on this program. And you do, the guru of good news and the producer, every week to our wonderful listening audiences across the country. I'm so grateful for that. What is your story for today, Jim? Well, since we are at the uh, height of the Christmas season, uh, we're going to talk about this story that, well, they say it's the most wonderful time of the year, and that's true. But for a nine-year-old girl in Colorado, actually, uh, we go back one year earlier, she had a not-so-merry Christmas, unfortunately, because it was heartbreak for her. She lost a member of her family, a dear family member, with four legs. It was her border collie mix, 
Bella, who passed away, and she was so devastated. I mean, no time is a good time to lose a pet because it's a family member. But especially during the holiday season, LJ, was especially tough on her. And her mom, Ashley, was telling a local broadcast outlet for the past year she had to watch her go through this struggle. But here's something. There was a, a bit of light, a bit of this darkness. And you know what it was? She turned that around. She did not succumb to all of the grief. She decided to turn it around and do some positive for people. You might say just a positive change, something something good to help others. Particularly animals who are in shelters who never really had the opportunity to have a family like she did with her beloved Bella. What she did was uh, her family came by one day, and it was Christmas, they're getting close to it, and they said, there's a Christmas wish list where I want you to make. What do you want for the holiday? Well, she only had one request. You know what she did? She came out with a flyer. She decided to do a pet donation drive to give back to dog shelters for dogs who just were not claimed by their owners, you know, maybe to give them some toys or maybe some pet supplies to kind of give them a little Christmas cheer in some way. Well, as we said, uh, in this case, Millie Kukachka, that's her name, and the Kukachka family decided to do something about that. They decided to organize this pet donation drive. They initially reached out to friends and family, and uh, the response was so overwhelming, LJ, they had up to 50 to 100 donations of toys and pet supplies for these dog shelters. And for all we know, it may go even higher than that because her, her mom said, you know, this is what her daughter wanted. And Millie basically said this. And again, she's just nine years old. She's really mature beyond her years. She said, you know, let me just say this. I may be little, but I can still make a big difference. How true. Aww. And she's very positive. Yes, positive. Oh, my goodness. I love that. The spirit of Christmas lives within her and her family and all those loving little babies that, uh, you know, she's blessed at the, the shelters. And that's the spirit of giving. So on this Christmas Eve, I wish you, Jim, and you, Bob, a very Merry Christmas. Are you both celebrating tonight or tomorrow? What is your tradition? I'm celebrating my family this weekend. I'm okay. actually uh, working at my church all day. You mean the, today? Yes, that's right. And then on the 25th, I'll be at my cousin, uh, my nephew's house. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And let me ask you this, Bob. Do you still ring the bells at church? Yeah, although not at my church this year. I did it at a different church. Oh, my goodness. So you're just, you're the traveling bell ringer. Uh, really? <laughs> that's, oh, that's beautiful. It sounds like you both have a wonderful time with family ahead and friends and I am also. I'll be at uh, a service, a church service today, and also um, with my mom and my family tomorrow. And to all of you listening, I pray that you have a most blessed one with those that you love and just with even yourself. If you're, you're quietly celebrating, may God bless you. And we'll see you in the coming week from the way home. I'm Laura Smith.